When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Nathan, we've got some huge news in the automotive world with the return of the Volkswagen van, the Acura Integra, and what are we talking about today? Revivals and reinterpretations. These are vehicles that have come back, kind of come back, or at least by name, sometimes in spirit. Yep, or are coming back. We talk about some future vehicles as well and what to expect. We're going to talk about the winners, we're going to talk about the losers, and see which vehicles are worth considering in terms of retro throwback models. But before we start out, I want to talk about some of the cool stuff we've been driving lately. Mm -hmm. What do you think of the new Lexus NX? The Lexus NX, which is based on the Toyota RAV4, they share very similar geometry and some components, including base uh, drivetrains, but I drove the 350 F-Sport. The 350 has a 2.4 liter turbocharged engine, puts out like uh, 275-ish horsepower, uh, very torquey, a lot of fun to drive, beautiful looking car. My wife fell in love with it the minute I pulled into the driveway, <laughs> asked me how much and really wanted to ride in it. And then she tried to get into the car and she couldn't open the door. Why? Because the door handles are bizarre. And it's something I complain about in the video that just came out about the car. You know, what do you think of these like new electric button actuated door handles? Terrible. I can't stand them. <laughs> the biggest problem with the, the Lexus is that the door handle looks like the type that you would pull and the entire thing actually actuates mechanically and pulls out, right? No, it's not. It has a little pad in there and your t fingers have to hit the pad in order to open the door. Funny thing is that if you have kids or whatever and they're trying to open the door and they grab the handle in the wrong spot, they're not going to be able to open the door. Mm. And there's this slight, like, millisecond pause when you trigger it and it opens. And the whole point is for uh, passenger, not passenger, but also driver, everybody's safety, right? So it'll prevent you from opening the door if somebody's running aside or a car is next to you. And I say, use the side view mirror. That's a great way to prevent opening your door into a car or a pedestrian. I hate these things. I don't understand it because, like, um, if you look at, like, screens, right? Mm -hmm. um, all these new screens are coming in and replacing buttons on interiors and stuff. Right. Not because they're better, but because if you talk to the manufacturers and read between the lines, they're cheaper. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Well, you lump it all together as a tech. Yeah. yeah. It's cheaper to put the climate controls in a screen than to have suppliers for various buttons and, and then you need more chips and all that. You know, it goes, it goes down the rabbit hole. But, like, electronic door handles seem more expensive, more complicated, and overall worse than, like, including a lever with a little finger in it to unlatch the, the striker. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there is a, a, a fail-safe system, so in case you lose power, you, you can open the door different ways. My point is that they're going down the rabbit hole the Germans did years ago. Okay. If you recall, the Germans thought that a turn signal stock is 
far too primitive, and they would make it better. <laughs> BMW and Mini tried that. I own one that has it. It's terrible. They reinvented the turn signal stock, and it just didn't work well. And they went back to the old-fashioned click, 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 click of a turn signal stock. Guess what they also did? They felt that a regular gear lever, oh, no, 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 this is, we need to replace this. They're making it more complex just for the sake of making it more complex. I have not heard a single argument to make an automatic transmission gear lever the way they are now with a separate button for park and all this other stuff better in any way other than, you know, compared to the old-fashioned ones, which actually had the little gated, you know what I mean? It, it just doesn't make any sense. So what about the argument that, like, you have space for your purse and your cups and all your stuff in but the there's, middle? there's very little size difference. I don't really see the point of it. Now, I, I can understand if it were a, a huge, chunky thing, you know, like, uh, say, a sports car or whatever, mm -hmm. and you have, you know, a manual transmission there, and they're like, oh, yeah, we've got rid of this because it saves space. I don't really buy that argument to begin with, but I get it when they say that. But when it comes to these automatic transmissions, if you're actually looking at the size of the gear lever versus what the gear lever that was replaced, there's not that much of a difference. I just don't see the point of it. I know, I know. It's drive-by-wire and these things hook up electronically, but just give us little notched things to put it into park and reverse. Gah. What about the, um, <laughs> like the Mercedes column shift? Like the electronic uh, up and down? Yeah, that takes a little while to get used to, but the, at least all of them basically have the same thing. Right. And yeah. they've had it for years. So it's essentially a column shift, even though it's really not. What about the Tesla, like the Model S, where they have no shifter? It's like the little <laughs> swipe on the screen? I know. And it yeah, predicts? Yeah, I don't like it. I hate it. I hate it. I just, and the, even button push buttons in cars, it's just everything is more complex than it needs to be. Give me a gear lever, not a not a rotary dial, just a gear lever, please. But my rant is over. I, I know Roma's not here. I'm doing the proxy for Roma. It's great. Rant. I yeah. love it. No, I agree. I was just reading this interesting article about the 19, I think it was 59 Edsel, had this feature where the gear select buttons, they were buttons in 59, mm -hmm. were actually in the hub of the steering wheel. That is correct, yes. So if you got in an accident, you'd get the imprint of Prindle on your chest. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> if you survive because you'd go almost through the steering column. Um, it, it was an interesting idea at the time, and then, you know, you could, like, later on in the 60s, Plymouth had a push-button uh, system, which uh, worked horribly. Uh, <laughs> there's, the thing that really gets me is that we've spent years and years figuring out that either a column shift or a um, something that is, you know, next to you is a very effective way of shifting a car and putting it into gear and putting it out of gear. And then now we're like, oh, no, 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 let's try some new things, which just don't seem to be working as well. Right. I just think the old system works better. Um, okay. But An XO otherwise, pretty good? Yes, yes. Really good driving car, very comfortable. I think it's a very pretty vehicle. It's in this beautiful blue. Um, it Everything about it in terms of its driving comfort and capability. And I drove it in the snow. We had that snowstorm. Yeah, the big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I drove it through there. And even though it had, you know, street bias tires, you know, they were all season, but, you know, really not. Um, they were great. It was great. Great traction. Mechanical um, all-wheel drive system. Beautiful. Wonderful. Great power. I was thrilled with it. I really I, was. I drove it for a brief time, too. I thought it was great. They yeah. really did a good job. I was over the moon until... I got out of that and into the new Kia Sorento um, X-Line that we have at the office. The Sorento is in a completely different bracket, though. Totally different bracket. Yeah. But the reason that I, I, I was kind of wafering on the Lexus a little bit, that was a $55,000 Lexus. Yes. The Kia, forty-five dollars 
and the Kia has everything. It's got quilted leather, heated seats, ventilated seats. It's got the screens for the uh, the navigation and for the center screen and for the driver cluster. It, and it's a better infotainment system, too. Everything, yeah. yeah. I mean, it is amazing what Hyundai and Kia are doing now, even on their non-Genesis yeah. models. Crazy. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. I, everything I have seen coming out of Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis blows me away and is either a class leader or above, you know, punching above its class. Unbelievable. Yeah. The only thing which I'm not super in love with in the Kia is, um, well, ours is the, the six-seater. It's got the captain's chairs, yeah. which is fine. But, like, if you've got a big family, you know, it's going to be more useful to have a, a, a real second row there. And then it's got, you know, Hyundai and Kia and Lexus used to be like this, too. They just don't know how to do heated seats and heated steering wheels. Hmm. This just like, it's like... A man is just breathing on your hands when you turn that thing on. It's just like a gentle, gentle, small amount of uncomfortable, mild heat. You know, like Jeep, Ram, oh my God, they're heated steering wheels. Well, we'll nuke your hands after a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll feel it. And, you know, it's an interesting point. I, I agree with you. I didn't even think about that, though. And by the way, the Lexus has a very good heated steering wheel setup. You know, it's Lexus. Mm -hmm. They know how to do heated seats as well. But you know who does, like, heated seats and heated steering wheel? Ford. Ford does a really good job. They do. Yeah, and plus they have massage on their F-150s, but it costs a lot of money <laughs> to get there. But that's a whole different story. Um, but let's go back to uh, what we were talking about initially, which is what the show is about, which is revivals and reinterpretations. And that's because some of these vehicles have some of these features that we love and hate. And in many cases, we've actually driven, I would say, about 90% of the vehicles on this list or will be driving very soon. Yeah, it's pretty cool because when you talk about revivals and reinterpretation, there's like a couple of cars that like come to mind immediately, which are like... Um, retro throwbacks to what they used to be. So right. like the Mini, right? Uh, when that launched in 02, right? Obviously a retro throwback to the one that launched in 59. Same thing with the Volkswagen. But now I think that interpretation is kind of growing a little bit to vehicles which are not necessarily icons of the 60s and 70s, but vehicles that were popular in like the 90s, the 80s, like the Integra and that kind of thing. That's right. Actually, that starts off our list. Uh, real quick funny point though, and Tommy and I were talking about this just before we went on camera. Uh, almost everybody in this office has or does uh, own a Mini of some sort. Yeah, if you what? think about it. <laughs> what happened there? Yeah, um, and I blame Tommy because at one point <laughs> our garage had like five Minis in it. <laughs> it was like, this is overkill. Yeah. Um, and and none of us are going to recommend Minis for long-term uh, ownership in terms of, uh, you know, if you're trying to save up for a cheap car. But on the other side of it, they're the most fun car you can possibly drive for the money, I think. I agree. I mean, Mini is one of those brands, I think, that um, was kind of brought back and people thought like, oh, it's a little eclectic throwback, mm. like the Volkswagen. Um, but unlike the Volkswagen Beetle or the new Beetle, is the reinterpretation of the Minis have always driven really nicely. They've yep. always been super sporty. Yes. Um, they've always been really premium, which it hurts when you buy them new because they're expensive. But like, yeah. typically you get lots of nice features in them. And the newer ones, like 2014 and newer, are pretty reliable, actually. Yeah, I mean, knock on wood, my wife's car's been doing really well, and she's been beating the hell out of it. I mean, she's just, uh, she's terrible. What is she, she doing to your pork? What is she doing to it? It's Yeah, I mean, she, I, she, she work at Helga's House of Pain when it comes to cars. <laughs> she just, she drives over manhole covers that are open. She she bounces it over, you know, low, ter uh, hard terrain. Does she curb wheels? Yeah, a little bit. Um, and uh, not as bad as my daughter does. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> they don't listen. This car goes through a, a it, it lot. It really does life. go through a lot. And um, in terms of its physical characteristics, it's one of the best snow cars I've owned. The Countryman. It's fantastic. And really? this is the older one. Yeah, yeah the first gen. Yeah. Just great in the snow. Really, really good setup. The manual transmission. I mean, it's not perfect, but I mean, I'm driving it today. Why? 
guess gas is really expensive right now, and it's cheaper for me to drive that than the Jeep. But uh, there are a lot of cars right now that are on the road or about to be on the road that are bringing back the old vibe and or the old names. Um, and the Acura Integra, we just recently, I mean, it just dropped officially, but it came out, what was it, about a month and a half ago when they showed you the first the concept. Um, and it was a terrible decision for them to use the original concept, yellow, on this because it just didn't look very good. And people were railing, including Tommy and I, about yeah. certain components of its design. However, the Acura Integra officially dropped uh, just a day ago or two days ago. And much better color. They actually were showing the um, A-spec version of it mm -hmm. with this beautiful blue. And the camera angle and everything else, they just did it right. Essentially, the, uh, the Acura Integra is a spiffied up Honda Civic Si, so it has a more powerful, basically 200 horsepower powertrain. However, you can get it with, you get it with a hatchback, which you don't get in the Si, luxury interior, which you don't get in the Si, and you can get a continuously variable transmission, which is basically an automatic transmission for those people who wanted that yet have the power of the Civic Si. That's, well, that's kind of the bottom line. That's an interesting one because if you want a Civic Si, is it manual only? Manual only. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the Integra, right? Yes. Um, it, it went away in 2001 mm. and it's back. Yes, so it's, it's back. been gone for like 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and it looks like it's coming into the new lineup as like the entry level actor. That's exactly it. $30,000 is what they're expecting. And what people were railing <laughs> about it when it first launched was, oh my God, this is just a, a, a rebadged Civic Si. But hasn't the Integra always been a rebadged Civic Si, more or, or less? Or it shared a lot of components with the Civic, yes. Yes, yeah. over, over the years. it's, And look at it this way. It was always the entry-level version of a Honda component that has some luxury to it and sport. That's exactly what they're trying to do with the uh, Acura Integra. Um, except... I think that the older ones looked really good, and this one, it takes a little while to adjust to, especially right. in yellow. Okay. Yeah. Now, I think it's also worth noting, though, like some of the older ones, the ones that are really like well-known now, mm -hmm. like the Type Rs, right? Those were, I think, almost always um, two-door uh, coupes. Right. Yeah. I mean, of course, they did have four-door Integras, but like the ones that we remember are two-door coupes. And they had hatches. Uh, but this new one is only four-door, I think, mm -hmm. currently, right? That is right, only four-door. And one of the reasons why is that very few people buy two-doors. That's mean, true, yeah. I mean, there's a reality, which is an awful lot of vehicles, including Honda, when they had their Civic two-door coupe, not a lot of them were sold. They stopped selling them because people weren't buying them, and so they stick with the four-door. And in this case, what you're oh, another big thing about this vehicle, it's probably going to be a lot heavier than the Civic, so probably won't be as quick. And one of the reasons why is that it's going to have an adjustable suspension system as well. And plus all the other tech that's on the inside always adds some weight. So this will be a much more luxurious vehicle compared to the Civic Si, which is kind of bare bones. Now, here's a question. You spent lots and lots and lots and lots of time in the Si. You, you loved went, it. You went on the launch. We yeah. had it here at the office. I think it starts at like 27 grand. Yes. Um, now, the question is, same engine as the Acura, mm -hmm. same transmission as the Acura, very similar interior overall. Would you save a little money and get the Civic, or would you go a little bit extra and get the Acura? What's your choice? Um... My choice is, of course, the Civic because I like saving money. However, it's not that much more expensive to get the Integra, and there are people who want a hatchback. I love hatchbacks. They're very utilitarian. And then there are people who don't want to drive a stick. Look, I was just in traffic for an hour today, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I was driving my wife's car, which is a stick, and it's like, oh, God, I'm just, I can smell that clutch now. So there are some people who just don't want to do that. And then the Honda Source CVT that's going to be in the Integra 
it's not a bad CVT as much as I dislike CVTs. So there are people who want that, and I totally get why they would do it. They want the power, but they also want a little tiny bit of luxury and a little tiny bit of convenience of a, a hatchback. I totally get it. So I understand the point of the Integra and the fact that it's coming in at 30000 uh, It's not too horrible. Okay. So you think an Integra over Civic? Mm, yeah, maybe. I, I have to drive it. I have to drive I ha- I have to We. My deal is I think that I'm a little... A little on the fence about it. I think mm. it's fine. I'm still not sure why you would get this over the Civic Si. For the most part, CVT is a big deal. Yeah. I think it does look pretty good. But I want to see if they do a Type S or like a Type R. That's going to be the exciting Which one. Which they could. And yeah. that would be really smart for them to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, didn't your mom own a uh, Integra? Yes. It was the first ever car she bought brand new. It was an ah. Integra. And she told me, I've never heard of this, but she bought it and they sold her. Part of the perks at the dealer was you got a phone that came in a bag. Kidding. It was like a car phone that came in like a separate bag and uh-huh. then you plug it in. Have you heard of these? Well, have, you, did, have you ever used a car phone? Yeah, the old ones, yeah. Have I, you really? Yeah, yeah. Do I, they work pretty well? No. I'm uh, so intrigued. My by mom car had phones. a brick. Okay. Yeah. The, 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 I have seen the bricks. Yeah, you put like in a mm-hmm. satchel. Yeah. And my dad had the actual. Uh, this actually the brick sat on its own. You could put it in a satchel, but you could just you know. Hers was huge. She could barely hold it because it had a giant battery, <laughs> nickel metal uh, hydride. Um, my dad had the giant plug-in one, which was in a briefcase. Yeah, that's what I think she got in this mm-hmm. Integra. Yeah. So you'd plug it into the car. Yeah. And then is there like a like a service provider plan that you get with the phone? So they have a radio signal that would tie into services before cellular. This is early, early stuff. And then later on, the newer version that your mom had yeah. was cellular, huh. but very limited coverage. Really? Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. It's but cool like stuff. you could call people from the car. Which was, you know, hey, hey this is the future. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So enough about car phones. Let's talk about the most exciting reveal of the week. I agree. And it's uh, coming to the U.S., but not for a hot sec. This is the reinterpretation of the original Volkswagen van. It's called the ID Buzz. The ID Buzz, uh, some people might call it the Microbus or the Bully. I mean, there's a variety of different names that these things have been called over the years. But essentially, Volkswagen finally is bringing back the flavor of the original Microbus, but in an electric form. So it shares a lot of components with the ID4 um, in Europe. However... We're getting the longer wheelbase version of this van hmm. here in the States. That's what they said. What we don't know is the battery size of when it comes here, because it, it, it may be a larger battery. Uh, the one that's going to be produced in Europe will have the same battery as the ID4. However, we're not getting it until 2024, which sucks. Um, so once again, the U.S. doesn't get the cool stuff until later. So, so they've launched the prototype of this car, like, Years ago. Yeah. I, th- I think it was the Detroit Auto Show we first saw. I sat in it and I talked to the designers. Did you? Yes. And remember it had a little gnome the on the back? The floating dashboard? gnome. Yeah, it was a magnetic dish. <laughs> and so this little gnome, I, I kid you not, it was a sculpture of a tiny gnome about the size, you know, it could fit in the palm of your hand. And they had it floating in the center of the dashboard because... I don't know if they were smoking, it was but it, yeah. was it was weird. It was weird. Yeah. And then we, they kept revealing it and showing it again and be like, look, then, oh, it's the same car. and like it. But now we finally know what at least the production one in Europe is going to look like. So this is going to be pretty close. I'm not so sure I love it. 
Tommy, you got problems. <laughs> I think it's awesome. It's a little My weird. Gaga for it. I don't know, Nathan. It's a little. I mean, I see parts of the original Volkswagen van in there. Yeah. But like, I understand that you can no longer drive a shoebox down the road because you die, and if you get the you yeah. know, collision with the beetle and not the car, but the sure. bug. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, I just the weird proportions. And why? Why is there a cheese grater on the front of it? Because it has to cool itself somehow. And remember that. Um, you know, Volkswagen, who's known for building really cool and occasionally illegal engines, uh, is also known for cooling their batteries properly. So this will have a fan. I believe there's a, two fans up front that actually will work for cooling. And also, remember, there's intake that's needed for internal um, HVAC systems. So that cheese grater up front, it's there for a reason. And you can also paint that and black it out or something like that, which I'm sure people will do. Yeah, and I also think, like, I mean, I understand that, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, Volkswagen vans were used by, like, plumbers and by churches, and they were just normal vans, right? Terrorists, too. <laughs> Yikes. Just so you know, yeah. Wow. But I think the thing that really, like, captured people's imaginations about the Volkswagen van was the camper version. Right? Sure. The Westphalia with the pop top. That was really cool, yeah. They should have revealed that. You know, that would have gotten me coming. excited. Okay. I truly think, uh, well, first of all, Europe is getting a delivery van version of this, a panel van version. Okay. Which is going to be rear drive only. Actually, their first versions of the van will only be rear drive. I think that's the maximized range. And that version very well, I, I'm positive that there will be a couple companies in Europe that will make a camper version of it. Then, when we get ours, which will be a longer wheelbase version, perhaps there will be a camper van version of that. That will be even more usable. So, I'm, 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 I've got my fingers crossed. And remember, we recently, two years ago, drove the Volkswagen California, which is not available here, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, Andre and I drove that. That thing that. was cool. Yeah, and it was an all-wheel drive van that had a pop-up that was extremely utilitarian and very, very good for camping and drove well, too. And, of course, it wasn't available for Americans, even though we drove it here. Long story, but I would watch the video, which I think is on TFL Car. That thing was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, the reason it was awesome, too, it was all built by Volkswagen, mm -hmm. right? And this is the issue with so many of the conversions. Is they're built, the van is built by Ford or Mercedes, mm -hmm. and then the stuff inside is built by a third party. And 90% of the time, it's like plasterboard crap that falls uh, apart. Well, sometimes it, it depends on who's building it. Some of these uh, upfitters are quite good, and some are terrible. We've had experiences with both. With <laughs> yeah, but we really have. The California is really cool. They need to do that to the ID Buzz. I agree. Now, you were right. Rear wheel drive, right? It's an MEB platform, 201 horsepower, um, 77 kilowatt hours. That's the ID4 uh, big battery. Yeah, so so that's what they're saying, at least on the European model. Right, and then see, the one that's coming here is Could bigger. Be totally different. So yeah. it might have a bigger battery. We don't know. They five, didn't announce that. Five to 80% in 30 minutes. But my big issue with it, the cheese grater on the front, and why have they given it such serious headlights? Like, what? The thing that the Volkswagen van was known for was the round headlights. I think it would look cool with round headlights. And, and I think that perhaps Volkswagen got a little too German when they were saying that, going, we're only going to revive so much of it. We have these <laughs> headlights. Why don't we use these headlights? This is a bad idea not to use these headlights. So I think that they're going with what they had in stock. I'm betting that the components in there are identical to the components in the ID4. And they simply are trying to save money, so the van is somewhat affordable. Well, whatever they've done, it's too serious. They need to give it round I, headlights. Yeah, round headlights. Okay, that would be cool. But I think that the overall design and the idea of it and the fact that we're going to have a minivan that's electric, all of that's cool. Okay, so let's talk about the next vehicle on the list. 
This is an interesting reincarnation of a name. It is the Ford F-150 Lightning, which is a full electric F-150. And talk to me about what the Lightning used to be. The Lightning used to be a very powerful internal combustion version of the Ford F-150. It was a step-side small cab, or standard cab, I should say, rear-drive pickup truck, the initial version of it, that um, there are later versions of it, but I think the first one produced over 400 horsepower, I'm going to say, but I don't, I don't have it on the top the tip of my head. Uh, the point with the Lightning was, of course, to have a very fast pickup truck, and it was an answer to the Chevy SS, hmm. which was a 454. The original Lightning was interesting um, because it uh, was basically like it was a, a sport truck. Sport truck. Yeah, low to the ground, rear-wheel drive. The first one was like the OBS body-style square one V8, and then the second gen, I think, is what really got its name cooking. And that was when they did a, a supercharged V8 version, which was just, you know, balls-to-the-wall bonkers. It was bonkers. And then Ram said, hmm, oh, yeah, hold my beer. <laughs> and they came out with the V10 mm -hmm. Ram, which had a manual transmission and was rear drive. And I, I got to drive that on a track, and it was insane and terrifying and awesome. Really? Yeah, yeah, it was horrible and, and awesome at the same time. So the new... Uh, word lightning is being applied to the fully electric F-150. Completely different vehicle, but funny enough, faster. Way faster. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like the original lightning was meant to be sport truck. Right. And pretty much not much else. Like it could tow a little bit and it could haul a little bit. A but little bit. It was primarily to go fast and do burnouts. Right. The new lightning is targeted as like starting at $39,000 for the contractor all the way up to hundred grand with super luxurious stuff. Um, so it's kind of just a standard F-150 revitalized in electric. So do you like the name? I do. Um, I, I think that Ford really hit it out of the park. I was not expecting this. Um, I was expecting something a little bit more reserved that they'd put batteries uh, and try to ram them into uh, a, a regular Ford platform and keep the solid rear axle. No, 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 no. They completely redid it, but at the same time, they managed to keep the Lightning accessible for the regular folks out there. Granted, we ordered one, and we are going to be paying. Ready for the tummy? No. $81,000. Oh, That's brutal. a lot of dough, but we are still going, hopefully going to get one of the earlier uh, versions of it so we can test the hell out of it. But there are less expensive versions that have, like, I think, a 200-mile range, and then you can get 300-mile range if you bone up for with more, more cash. All-wheel drive, uh, four-wheel independent suspension, very quick, and Ford has been testing the hell out of these things, and they have really proven so far, according to insiders, to be extraordinary. And we will be seeing this very soon. They go into production. April. What? Yeah, April. Yeah. Coming so, soon. Coming real soon. Yeah, I think it's cool. Um, you know, I, I really think they did a better job with applying the word lightning to this than, like, <laughs> the Mustang name to the Mach-E. Yes, I was going to bring up the Mach-E. You know, I, I just call it the Mach-E. I don't even call it the Mustang. Yeah. I can't. I don't know what they were just called. The but and it's a great little EV too. I it's know. it's a great EV. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Yep. They should have never attached any Mustang to it. Nope. Had they just called it the Mach E, um, I would have been fine with that. I I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So next up on the list, we've got a twofer. We've got the iconic return of two legendary sports cars. One of which, of course, has returned already: the Toyota Supra, and the other, which is coming back soon, the Nissan Z. I'm so excited for this matchup, and so are a lot of other people <laughs> out there. And you know, it's going to go either way. I, I, a lot of people believe that the Nissan Z is a return to the affordable sports car, which is the whole point of the Nissan Z, the 240, when it came out, mm. is that it was something that was accessible. You couldn't buy a Corvette, but you could buy a Nissan Z type thing in terms of money. This one um, will have an optional manual transmission, 
Uh, we are hearing about some numbers, but nothing's been fully confirmed. Uh, we haven't seen the production one yet. We haven't driven the production one yet. We're looking forward to that. I think that's coming pretty soon, though, isn't it? Right. So we've seen pictures of the production. Alex may have seen it in person, but it's starting production in, like, March. I yeah. mean, it's it's basically here. Um, and it's very exciting that this is finally going on sale. Now, the Z, <laughs> why why have they just called it Z? Isn't that kind of, I mean, every other Z was 240, 260, 280, yeah, 400, 300, yeah, or 300, uh, 350, 350, 370. 370 yeah. yeah. And now it's just Z. Shouldn't they have given it, like, a 400? I, I have a suspicion about this. Oh, yeah? Because so, it's got 400 horsepower. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're hearing is 400 horsepower. Yeah. Um, so my suspicion is this is the last of the internal combustion Zs. Okay. So that's why they're calling it the Z, because later on there's going to be an EVZ. Or an EZ. The, or an EZ or something like that by the time <laughs> you have kids or whatever. So I think that we're, this is the last of them. And what we're going to see is in the next, say, five years... We'll see this thing, we'll see different versions of it, more performance, Nismo versions, blah, blah, blah. And then it's going to go away and Nissan's going to go all electric and we'll eventually get an electric version of the Z. That's what my assumption is. Okay, that's interesting. Last of the gas. I think that this is a phenomenal looking car. I, I think love it. It's supposed to start right around 40 is what I've been reading yeah, online. So yeah. uh, some, I mean, that's a pretty big price drop compared to the straight six Supra, which is out there. Mm-hmm. And the manual is a pretty cool idea. I'm glad I that they love... finally... Are, we're getting another car on the market with the manual. Yeah, and now here's the thing. The other vehicle on this list is the Toyota Supra. Right. That's another one that's re, you know bringing back the old name. Granted, it's not – there's a lot of things going on with it, both good and bad. Yep. Um, but uh, this has not been officially confirmed by Toyota, but sources left, right, and center say that the manual is coming very soon. There will be a manual transmission version of the Supra. Okay. We don't know if it's going to be on the four-cylinder or the six-cylinder. We really don't know. And most likely it'll be sourced from BMW because most of the components, the drive components, are sourced from BMW, but tuned. I love the Supra. The BMW thing doesn't bug me as much as it bugs some people. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I never see them, though. I almost never see Supras on the road. Probably because we live in Colorado. Yeah, that's probably probably a big part of it. I've seen a few. I've seen a few here. Okay. Uh, There's a red one that's uh, somewhere in uh, near Denver, Cherry Creek, actually. But I've seen a couple in L.A. And we've driven both the six-cylinder and the Mm four-cylinder. Paul's driven them as well. They they handle beautifully. They're they're a lot of fun. They're they're crazy cars in some ways. I'm not very comfortable driving them though. I just don't fit very well inside them. Very true. Absolutely mm-hmm. true. But uh, the Z, I think, is the one that's going to get the purest really excited. I think so, too. I think that if, if they play their cards right, this car is going to hit it out of the park. I think the styling's already a good start. And keeping it way less expensive than the Supra is a smart idea. It's a good idea. Yep. Um, still confused about the, the, the no-name thing. But... Um, We'll have to wait and see what Toyota does. I have read those rumors, too, about yep. the, the manual Supra, and excited to see that. Now, next up on the list is the Ford Bronco, which has finally made its return in 2020. Well, some people are still waiting. Yeah, but technically 2021. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, what do you think of the Bronco? Did they do it right? Yeah, they did. They really did a good job. And the Bronco Sport. Yep. I don't like the name. I wish they didn't call the Bronco Sport the Bronco Sport. Okay. I wish they would have called it something, anything else. What, what's wrong with Bronco Sport? Well, the problem is I think it's deceptive. A lot of consumers out there who are not in the know look at this and go, oh, it's another Bronco, but it's much smaller. I don't understand how a truck platform goes underneath <laughs> such a small truck or whatever. It's not a truck. It's it's a crossover. It's a great crossover, but it's a crossover. And I know what they're doing. They're, they're using the Bronco name. They're expanding. They have a Bronco Raptor coming out soon. So it's not that it was a bad thing. I just, I'm not thrilled with it. It's once again kind of using a name where I just don't think it really belongs. 
still the regular Bronco, the reintroduction of it, bringing back the spirit of the Bronco and trouncing a lot of competitors, they did a brilliant job. And we own one right. for a good it's reason. Great. It's a great truck. What I am a little, uh, maybe, I'm, I'm thinking that they're going to do a full line of I mean, maybe they've announced it already, but like a full line of Broncos. Yeah, we're going to so see like others. Bronco Sport, full-size Bronco, maybe like an expedition-based Bronco, right? Like a huge Bronco. Yeah, maybe they'll call it the Bronco XL. Yeah, so I think we're going to see the name return, but at least in the full-size Bronco, like the Sasquatch models, yeah. whatever. Um, those really are a great return to classic Bronco-ness. They sweated the details. Really, other than the roof, they got everything right, I think. And the funny thing is we don't have the Wrangler on this list because it never really died. Like, yeah, it's just been around. Revivals yeah. and reinterpretations. The whole thing is basically just one continuous product it, line. Yeah, exactly. And there's other ones on here that you know haven't been thrown back on the list because they're still there, you know, right. essentially. And pretty much, honestly, they haven't changed the, the basic formula of the Wrangler for, gosh... A lot of years. <laughs> yeah, it's really uh, your lifetime, at least. Which Tommy. is, which is, it's fine. It's a, I love the Wrangler, um, but I think Ford, you know, the the twenty one year hiatus, um, uh, twenty six year hiatus was a uh, a good kind of break from the Bronco name, and then when they brought it back, everyone got excited. And, yeah, and and Ford just hit once again. They hit. It. They've had a lot of hits on their hands. Yeah. Ford's done very well. Doing good. Uh, yes, nothing's perfect. They just um, need to build them. Yes, that's one of the problems is that there's a lot of customers who just were so upset that they actually dropped their order and went and bought a Wrangler, which was available. So next up on the list, the GMC Hummer EV. Talk yeah. about an interesting revival of a brand. Now, it's not quite like it used to be, right? Hummer mm. was was um, kind of a, uh, there was an interesting story about AM General and the Humvees, right? And right. And Humvee, for those of you, the H1, you know, it, it, that was your uh, military vehicle or military-based vehicle. Yeah, and then Schwarzenegger was like, oh, they should build this, and General Motors was like, okay. Yeah, so yeah, they listen to Arnie. There's, there's a whole thing about it, um, but... Basically, H1 military vehicle. Yeah. People are going to leave comments that it's not, but to the average consumer. And then H2, right? Yeah, which was, to a lesser extent, part of a Suburban or Tahoe, uh, but built to be, you know, a stout off-road vehicle. And in some cases, it was. There were some issues. We owned one, and, yep. and Andre did as well. Uh, he bought ours. Yes, uh, he yeah. did. Yep. And um, it was it was an interesting vehicle. Big brute, got terrible mileage. God, it was so inefficient. Really bad mileage. But it's very good off road, actually. Yeah. Everyone hates the H two, but they're pretty good off road. Well, the H threes were the ones that were really really great off road because they had a you know better uh, power to weight ratio and they yep. were smaller wheelbase. And the H three was the smaller version of the Hummer. And Hummer was going to keep going for a while there. They were selling very well for General Motors, and then. The gas crisis of uh, the 2000s hit, and that and some other issues, General Motors just got rid of it. Bye-bye. Gone. Right. And that was during their restructuring and everything else. Pontiac and Oldsmobile were also on the chopping block around that time. So 2010 is when Hummer died. Um, and it, I think Hummer was its own complete separate brand. Right? It was. It was like, completely on its own. You would go to a Hummer dealer and deal yep. with Hummer people and got the Hummers. But, uh, I mean, if you ask me what happened, and, and this is, I got to give credit to my dad, but he's right. Like, the, they kind of lost control of the brand. It became a poster child for conspicuous consumption yep. in 24-inch chrome wheels. And, and, then, and then it kind of got this bad reputation along those lines. But you're right. The H3... Um, you could get it with the Alpha package, which is the 5.3 liter yeah. V8. You could get it with front and rear locking discs as mm -hmm. well, with Adventure package, manual transmission. Loved them, but they they died in 2010. Yep. And now they're back, but kind of under a new umbrella, under GMC. But the Hummer is back with the Hummer EV, which is uh, two configurations: a pickup and a wagon style, and they are insane. 
Yes, they are. Uh, for one thing, the pickup truck weighs 9,000 <laughs> pounds. And the reason why I put just a huge exclamation mark on that is because it's basically the heaviest vehicle, period. It's even heavier than heavy-duty I know. Duallys, it's right? like I, I read a thing that the battery, uh, the battery pack alone weighs as much as like a Miata. People <laughs> dug up the EPA forms and figured that out. Yeah, it's it, it's insane. Uh, but you know, it is all electric. It kind of throws it into the face of of what the original Hummer was all about. And uh, this is now a somewhat ecologically sound Hummer. I guess you could say that, even though in reality, the amount of <laughs> the amount of power and everything else it takes just to move this thing is extraordinary. So. It's not exactly what I call a Prius, but it is all electric. It is off-road, very off-road capable from what we're hearing. And they are in production, albeit very few of them are actually produced right. so far. Yep. And people are flipping them for like 300 grand. Yeah, it's ridiculous. In the used market, which is crazy. So next up on the list, one that we had at the office pretty recently, but it's an interesting one. The Jeep, uh, well, it's actually a kind of an interesting story. Yeah. The Wagoneer and the Grand Wagoneer. What do we think? Well, don't call it a Jeep. How dare you? I know. They don't have Jeep on the thing. No, They're like trying to hide the fact. They do and they don't. It's ridiculous. That's so silly. When, when we went to the uh, events uh, and actually were, you know, first indoctrinated into the Wagoneer and the Grand Wagoneer, uh, they were basically like, oh, no, it's its own thing. It's not a Jeep. Yeah, it is. It is. But it, it's on a um, – this is, first of all, a truck. So it's based on a version of the current uh, – sorry, F – not F uh, – Ram 1500 platform. Uh, so it has a lot of the same components as, as a Ram. And then you add luxury to it. So there's one version, the Wagoneer, which is not as powerful and not as expensive. And then the Grand Wagoneer, which is comparable in price to German and British luxury barges. And it is utterly fantastic. But it is also <laughs> not exactly what I'd call uh, economically sound. Yeah, it's so... I don't know. Wagoneer is supposed to compete with, like... What would you say? Tahoe? Oh. Wagoneer? Tahoe? Maybe the, the, suburban -y? Yeah, Yukon -y. yeah. Yeah, and even maybe the, uh, the whatchamacallit, the, uh, the Sequoia. Yeah, and the Expedition is, or, man, my brain's all over. Yeah, Grand right. Wagoneer is supposed to compete with Escalade yes. and Navigator. And it does. It competes directly with them, if not better, granted $100,000 at uh, least. I think that my biggest issue with both of these is they're kind of ugly. Yeah. I, they did. I think the proportions are weird, and they body color matched all the pillars, so it looks like kind of looks like an airport van. It just accentuates the length of the thing. So I'm not sure I'm a big fan of the design. Um, I'm not a big fan of how they lost the Jeep branding. I don't understand that. I point. don't get that. Yeah. yeah, like the Wagoneer or Grand Wagoneer, like we talked about. I mean, there's like little itty bitty Jeep Easter eggs, but it doesn't all over say the place, Jeep. right? Yeah, and it, but it, and it is a Jeep product. At the right. end of the day, that's what it is. I and don't. I don't get that. Yeah, um, but I, I mean, I rode in the one that we had. I took it off road, and it was some of the the, the most dialed in suspension I've ever been in. Absolute luxurious ride. Yet when it goes off road, it did really, really well, having tires that really aren't built for off roading. So it's it's an interesting mix. You know, online they have like a woody kit for these things. Have you seen that? Yeah, it, it what, looks terrible. What do you it, think? Does it, it need it, wood on the side? No, of it? It, it, well, not like this. <laughs> it, it just looked dreadful. I, I, I don't know where they were going with it. Now we're assuming that we're going to see some of these and possibly some other versions of it at the upcoming Easter Jeep Safari, mm -hmm. which is happening um, around mid-April, and we're going to cover the hell 
hell out of that. We're there. So yeah. looking forward to that. Yeah, and I even I've seen concepts or not concepts. I've seen prototypes testing of like an extended wheelbase one it looks like too. Which is like even bigger? I know. <laughs> yeah, to compete with like the extended wheelbase Escalade and that kind yeah, of Yeah, I guess. But it, it, very expensive vehicles, very, very nice in terms of the you know, interior design with Stellantis and FCA and all that. Never been an issue. They've always done an excellent job making beautiful, nice interiors. Hopefully, they've built something that can compete in this market because, let's face it, it's a difficult market. And now, gas is expensive, and these things do not get good mileage. Very so, expensive. we will be seeing, I think, a 4xe version of these very soon. So, um, kind of another vehicle, which I'm not convinced they totally hit the mark on, um, and most people would probably agree, the Chevy Blazer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I, a while ago, I did a video. I was trying to argue that they should change the name to Be Laser. Be Laser. Because it's not a blazer. <laughs> uh, they totally missed an opportunity because at almost exactly the same time, Ford's like, look, we're building a real Bronco here. It's coming out real soon. Granted, Ford took forever. Chevy, Chevrolet, whoever came along and said, you know, that'd be a great idea to make a street-based only Chevy Blazer. Bring back the name and make it absolutely something that cannot be taken off-road. Terrible idea on that. It's not a bad SUV or actually crossover. If they called it something else, it'd be fine. The funny thing about the Blazer is that people love them. Like, they sell quite a bit for what yeah, they are. The, the fleets are getting a lot of them, too. Well, sure. Yeah. But it's like, you know, if you want a kind of sporty, mid-size-y crossover, people love them for that. Yeah. But think about how what excitement they would have had if they went full-on off-road. They, they could have done it. And I know GM could do it. GM can do anything they want. They have the reach and they have the pockets to do it. It's just they failed on the name. And a lot of people even think the Trailblazer was a bad idea as well. Although I, I think Tommy agrees. It's not like a horrible idea. Yeah, it's better than the Blazer. That, I'd say that. That's another revival, uh, which went in a total different direction. Yes. Uh, like Trailblazer was this big lumbering thing with straight sixes and V8s and yeah. like a thousand seats in them. The new Trailblazer is a small Korean-made three-cylinder um, or four-cylinder but it's a lovely little car like yeah. it's fantastic it does okay off-road if you get the right version so you're right they should have called the blazer the b laser yeah or like the <laughs> anything uh, else the camaro tall or something yeah, not even that that, that would have people would have set fire to the gym <laughs> no they, they they but they should not have called it blazer is my point and they would have been fine yeah. but they use the name and now they're kind of feeling the repercussions of that a little bit. Yeah. So why have you included this next vehicle on the list? Well, before we go, there's one more thing about the Blazer just to put a, a nail in this. Okay, yeah. Um, and that is that the upcoming Blazer SS. What, they're doing an SS Blazer? Yes, they are. And it's going to be an EV. So this Blazer is going to stop being a gas Blazer in the near future. Okay. They're going to have an EV version of the Blazer, which is based on the same platform that they're using for a lot of other vehicles, including the Equinox. And it will be, they're going to bring back the name, SS, and they're going to put it on the Blazer, and supposedly this is going to be a very fast crossover electric vehicle. What the heck? You're right. The first ever all-electric Blazer. I can be right from time to time. Plug in and turn heads with the all-new Blazer EV, the yeah. mid-size SUV. Oh, yeah. It will be available in a power-boosting SS trim, available 2023. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But once again, they're keeping the Blazer name, and it sounds like they're keeping it kind of street. And I don't know if that's a great idea. But it's almost too late, right? Because they missed their opportunity to compete right. with Ford head on. With I don't the Bronco. get that. Right. Okay, so let's move on, though, to the one that you have a lot of experience with. Well, why did you put it on the, I mean, Venza? Toyota because they brought Venza? it back. 
But it, I mean, revival and reinterpretation. Yes, it's a reinterpretation. The original Venza was essentially a Camry <laughs> wagon, right? Sure. And it had all-wheel drive as an option. It wasn't a bad vehicle, but it was it was just kind of in the middle. And well, by the way, people are looking for them now because they really do want the security of a Camry in a wagon. Boom. I think it's Venza. funny. I just think it's funny. We have like all these iconic nameplates. <laughs> Bronco. And then I brought in Venza. Super. I came up with this list, folks. So Tommy's gonna let Toyota me have this Benza. later too. It is very frugal. It's a very, it's a hybrid only. Yeah. It's got this cool roof, which is an optional thing where you like goes opaque when you put it Yeah. But See? why not just get a RAV4 electric or a RAV4 hybrid? Uh, I actually have a very good reason for that. Not everybody likes crossovers. What well, is a crossover? No, the Venza is really the more Venza? of a wagon. It's a wagon. Really? Yeah. All right. What was it, like five inches off the ground, six <laughs> inches off the ground? It's it's just some people do before would rather not have a – and also it kind of looks a little bit more, I don't know. Like a fish. Yeah, it looks like a fish. <laughs> it, it does. It does. I, I like the Venza. It's like uh, – I don't know. I feel like if you're looking at buying a, like a – whatever, a Lexus NX – um, maybe consider a Venza instead because you get a lot of tech and comfort for a lot uh, less. Yeah, less money. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally understand its appeal there, but I'm still not convinced I'd get it on top of a Rav4 hybrid. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What would you would you go Venza over Rav4? I think I think uh, I know like one of my, my sister. She's a really good example. She doesn't like the Rav4s because she finds them to be just not very sophisticated. She would rather have something slightly higher end, and I think and I tried to push her into the Toyota Venza because I think it is a little bit higher end, especially the interior. Mm -hmm. Much better appointments and everything else, close to a Lexus. So. If you don't want a Lexus, but you want to get close to it, I think the Venza is the way to go. It's right. not horrible. It's, it's a just, good car. It just bores me. It's, I, it's I, boring. I put yeah. it the equivalent of watching lawn mowing. It's it's about that exciting <laughs> for me. But it's a very interesting vehicle for people who are into saving money. So next up on the list, uh, the Honda Passport. Yes. Yeah, the Passport. Um, I've had a lot of experience with this vehicle. Well, so the first one was what? Like a Isuzu or something, mm -hmm. right? It was based on the Isuzu Rodeo. Okay. And uh, Honda, uh, you know, they had it for a while. Honda and Acura were working with the Zuzu, uh, getting some of the vehicles they needed to feel, fill certain, uh, you know, missing components in the market. And that was what the Passport did for a little while. It was out for a few years. Um, and that was actually a capable off-road vehicle. Then they came back with the Passport, which the new one essentially is the Honda Pilot, but smaller. They took out some seats. They, they changed the wheelbase. They changed the body. And they made it a little bit more off-roady. And then... They came out with the Trail Sport, which they want you to think is even more off-roady, which it's really not, but it's still very capable. And we even took it over to... Um, the ranch. Uh, yeah, to Tumbleweed Ranch, um, and took it off-road there, and it did remarkably well. And there's a video out there on that on uh, TFL Now, I think. Uh, off-road. Oh, is it off-road? Off-road. Okay. Uh, so the, the Passport, I, I agree completely. It's a um, fantastic little car. Well, it's actually not that little. I recently just drove one like last week uh, for for quite a quite a long time, and huge amounts of space. For yeah, a tons of elbow room, right? Yeah, like the captain's chairs, and it's got a big ass trunk in it. No third row, but uh, really good all-wheel drive system. Yes, engine was really thirsty. That was the one thing I didn't like about it. Is yeah, that V six two hundred eighty horsepower or something? A lot like of that. power. Yeah, three, good power. Three point five V six. Yeah. nine speed automatic. But use a lot of gas. But I agree with you. I mean, it is probably one of the best all-wheel drive systems on the market. It's a wonderful all-wheel drive system. And the interesting thing is that it does compete directly price-wise. And if you, if you, you know, put it in the right uh, category with, like, a Jeep Grand Cherokee. 
Yeah, the new one. Right. That's and, what they claim, too. Yeah. Honda was like, we're going after Grand Cherokee. And everyone's like, really? Uh, yeah. So off-road, the Grand Cherokee would probably eat it alive. However, this V6 puts out a lot more power than the uh, uh, Pentastar V6. And I think that it probably is comparable in terms of MPG and all that. Comfort, I think I'd give it to the Honda. So capability, I'd give it to the Jeep. But it's it's a good car. And they they recently kind of gave it like a facelift, which yeah. is new exhaust and bigger nose, and it looks good. Yeah, yeah. And the Trail Sport, uh, in, in, they actually good news for those who people are like, oh, it needs better tires. Ah, that's coming. Honda is actually going to have that available for the vehicle, so it doesn't have those Firestones that look off-roady but really aren't. Uh, and a suspension upgrade is coming in the future as well, plus other stuff. So they are taking it kind of serious. So Land Rover Defender. Oh, my God. Yeah, what a great uh, comeback, right? Well. <laughs> Come on. Okay. It was, I did have kind of some issues with it when it launched because it's more of a discovery than an old school Defender. Yeah. But it's proven itself in the market to be ridiculously popular, and people really like their defenders. So I'd call it a pretty major win for Land Rover. Uh, considering how poorly they were doing, and now where their sales are now, specifically because of this vehicle, I think that they, it's an absolute home run. Yes, we've had three. <laughs> three. Um, and the first two weren't great for various reasons. Um, I will say this. When you buy the first year of any new vehicle, they haven't worked all the kinks out. So mm -hmm. you wait till the second year. That's what I say to most people. Yep. In our case, once we got the third one, which was the V6. Straight six. Straight six, sorry. Um, and it was great. It was great. Yeah, turbocharged straight six. You can get it now with the V8 as well. There's a, I'm looking forward to that. Yep. There's a, a longer four, version coming too. Yeah, I've, I've seen prototypes of that. Yep. Uh, there's um, a four-cylinder, which you don't want to buy. No. Um, but there's also a 90 and a 110. So there's like a short right. and a longy. And the 90 is interesting because that's that's technically a two-door or three-door if you want to call it that. But it does have room in the back for uh, two, four people, I think. So would you get the 90 or the 110? I would get the right? 90 if my wife wasn't around. Uh, but I'd get the 110 <laughs> otherwise uh, because I'm a family man. Um, I love the looks of it, though. It looks great. The styling is awesome. You do like the looks. I do. I've always said I, I like it. When we had one, we bought one, and we had it here. Yep. Every time I'd walk into the garage, I'd always just like, oh, my God, that thing really looks cool in person. When you see it in, in, in person, it looks fantastic. When you see pictures of it and you're like, oh, let's share some components with some other cars, it does. However, and we do have a video on this, there are quite a few differences between this one and the Discovery. The, the one thing... I don't know if I like the 90. It looks too stubby. You know, it looks like it's going to roll over on its back. Uh, yeah, some people might say that. I think it kind of looks cool, but, it, you know, it, I like smaller off-road vehicles because, well, they fit, yeah. right? And so yeah, this would be a better, a better breakover angle by far. Yeah, so that was a big success, I think, for Land Rover. Yeah, they did well. Now, let's talk about some other revivals and reinterpretations, um, some that I think are, are kind of interesting. Do you remember the PT Cruiser? Yeah, it was terrible. But <laughs> I went to the event on that one. That was one of my early events as a journalist, and it was... Ugh. Do you know the PT Cruiser had, like, weight lines? There were huge demands for PT Cruisers. Do you know one of the customers who gave up on it was my mom. What? Yeah, she loved it. Oh, it was bringing back the 50s and all that other stuff when she was, you know, my dad had grease in his hair, all that. So they seriously thought about this as a car for her. What? She was so ticked off by, by the MSRP uh, increases and all this other stuff. People were putting $5,000 back then on top of the PT Cruiser and then weight lines and all this other stuff. Wow. And so she was so ticked off at her dealership in Santa Monica 
that she went across the street, down the road, yep. and bought a Volkswagen Beetle, the new Beetle, oh, shortly really? after it came out. She, and that's what she got instead, speaking <laughs> of revivals. And, that, and she loved it, even though it wasn't great. Um, and, yeah, so they oh, – that was a really good example of dealerships being greedy and, and, frankly, stupid because they lost a potential customer for the future. I think we as a society need to take another look at the PT Cruiser. Don't you think? What is Don't wrong with you? Don't you think? Well, well, okay, okay. In terms of cool styling, yes, it, it, they did a really good job because at the time when they came out with this, people were like, oh my God, this is so cool. Both interior and exterior styling was interesting. It was utilitarian, but it also screwed up in so many ways. Powertrains were not great, even with the turbo. The turning <laughs> radius was the worst of any car, not only in its class, but any car, period. You could not do a U-turn on a four-lane road in this thing. It was dreadful. And then for some ungodly reason, Chevy's like, we'll do that too. And they built the um, HHR. HHR. And I just, oh my God, it was it was dreadful as well. Yes, there were performance versions of it. And people are going to like, you know, write us, oh, you didn't mention performance. Yes, we know. SS. Yes, it was out. But they weren't great. They really weren't um, compared to so many other contemporary vehicles. If you took a PT Cruiser and put it next to a GTI of the time, the GTI would drive circles around it. And for the same price. It just didn't make sense. So so PT Cruiser, don't miss it? What about, uh, the, no. what about the Prowler? Prowler is another one of those missed opportunities because <laughs> it, was, it blew me away that this is going to be a production car. Oh, my God. And they had a, a V8 that would have fit in there. And they had a manual transmission that would have fit. Did they use either? No. no. They put in a boat anchor of a V6 in there, and they left in, I think it was a five-speed automatic transmission. That Maybe had even the, less. It may have been a four. Yeah, but it had the, whatchamacallit, the, the power man, shift. Yeah, the manu shift or whatever. Yeah, which yeah. was utter, you know, come on. And they're like, oh, it's the same thing, but even better. And this car looked like it would do wheelies. And it was like doing zero to 60 in, what, 10 seconds, nine <laughs> seconds maybe? And people were like, at first, oh, I want it. And then and then Chevy looked at that and said, hmm, hold my beer. Yeah. And they built the, what, the S- a- SSR? Uh, yeah. The, the truck thing? Yeah, a convertible pickup truck, which <sighs> was a little bit more interesting in some ways because at least it had some utility to it. But it wasn't a big hit either. And Chevy's like, well, we put so much money into this thing. Why isn't it a hit? Well, it kind of looks a little weird, and it wasn't really fast, and it didn't handle well, and it couldn't tell. I don't know how the Prowler got greenlit. I mean, it is such a weird it, thing in it? so many ways. But at the same time, they also greenlit the uh, Viper. Yeah, that's and, true. And the Viper, in, in now that was a car that really did look as fast as it you know, actually right. would go. Uh, even though it was remarkably dangerous, which I loved, especially the uh, GTS version, which is still one of my favorite cars. However, very different mentality there. The, the Prowler was, was, let's give them a car that looks fast but isn't, and the Viper is, let's give them a car that's probably going to find them at night and lynch them. Right. It was the, just a really dangerous car. They messed up on everything yeah. on the Prowler from a standpoint. I agree. Standpoint. Well, <clears throat> but it was so close. It was a good. cool design. Yeah. Cool design. So revivals we wish for, and um, some that we, we've heard a little bit come back. Yeah. So why have you put the Audi Quattro on here? Because the Audi Quattro was awesome, and there are <laughs> concepts on the internet right now. If you go and look around just a little bit, look at uh, Audi Quattro concept, EV, whatever you want to look at, you're going to see some of these things. And I just thought the uh, the actual, going back to a two-door coupe slash hatch Audi Quattro would be awesome. It's a car that I think would really be awesome for Audi to go into the EV world and have a really good-looking car, right? Yeah. That's what I think. Okay, I, I, I agree. Audi Quattro would be cool to see a revival with. Lancia Delta Integrale? 
Yeah, I love those. And so <laughs> is that I ever gonna s- come back? Yeah, there's some concepts on the internet, and then, right. and I even did a Ask Nathan, which is a post that goes up every Sunday, and on TFL Car, and that um, is yeah. Out, well, well, actually, Lancia did say that they were getting uh, a good injection of funding to start building new Lancias that are supposed to be fun and interesting. So maybe there's there is a rumor, an inside rumor, that they might build a Delta again. Is it going to be a full-on um, off uh, rally version? No, no, it's not. It's not. I so, guarantee it. So this next one's a weird one. Yes, this I, is cool. I don't know what the heck this was, but uh, we were watching the Super Bowl, and there was like a nine-second ad for DeLorean. Yeah. And we saw the outline of the wings going up, and yep. that was it. What is this? Well, another story that is on TFLcar.com. Okay. Um, we were told they uh, officially announced that this car will be built as an electric vehicle, a sports car, bringing back the spirit of the original DeLorean, which was, by the way, Italian design in terms of the exterior, which I still thought was a fabulous looking car. So it's going to be slow and then end up in a drug bust? Is that what you're no, saying? No, no, no. And... Poor DeLorean. There's, there's a whole story on that alone. Now, this is supposed to... Now, the company DeLorean, obviously DeLorean DMC, that went away. However, another car company came along, which was building the remainder of those vehicles from the line and building components for new versions of the old DeLorean. So people are buying almost new DeLoreans from these guys, right? This company now opened up a new company, which is going to be building these EVs. And they're going to outsource the components, the battery, the motor... But they have a design, and we're going to see more of this in the future. They are on the web. I'm not going to give them a shout-out because until I drive it, it's vaporware as far as I'm concerned. But it might be real, and it looks kind of intriguing. All right. So DeLorean, apparently. Mitsubishi Lancer Evo, when yeah. hell melts over, is what you wrote here. I actually had a conversation with um, um, a, a person at Mitsubishi about this. Yeah. I said, so is it ever going to happen? And he said, in a million years, it would never happen. Yeah. Mitsubishi is not going back in that direction ever again, they said. Yes. Um, which could be, um, you know, just their PR line, but I think it's probably true. Yeah. This is never going to happen. There was this little rumor that was buzzing around with some of the Mitsubishi diehards saying, I really want an Evo, and maybe they'll be able to build an electric version of it, or, and God, I hope this doesn't happen, or a SUV of some sort being called an Evo, and they'll put, like, a turbocharger in it, and also a CVT, which, by the way, they did with the Eclipse Cross. Okay, yep. And that was kind of sad. So, no, I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be something really cool, and I think it would help re-energize the brand. It would be cool. It would be really cool. And then Ram Dakota... Yeah, the Dakota. So tons and tons and tons of rumors that Ram is bringing one of these back, uh, possibly as another uh, competitor for the Ford Maverick, or possibly as a mid-sized pickup truck going up against the Tacoma, or as an electric vehicle. There's tons of rumors out there. A lot of people are very fond of the Dakota. And remember, Tommy, they built a lot of Dakotas. Yeah. And they were very popular for a very long time until they were destroyed. Um, it was a very interesting vehicle and one that led its way to the current, um, you could you could technically say it's related to the, um, whatchamacallit, the uh, Durango. How do you do a Dakota, though, and not compete with the Gladiator? Oh, that's easy. Uh, the Gladiator's entry price and just, just getting a Gladiator really is going to set you back 40 to 50 uh, grand, right? I okay, mean, yeah. Re- realistically. Uh, if Jeep, or sorry, if F- Stellantis, God, I'll get it right. Stellantis wants to compete. They need a vehicle that's going to start in the 20s. Okay. And I think that they can build a vehicle that's not going to be super off-road capable like the Gladiator, built on a platform. They already have a couple platforms, including Peugeot, by the way. They have stuff, too. And now that they're part of the mix, 
it's entirely possible that we may see a unibody version of something that comes along. By the way, RAM already has uh, a, st- uh, what should we call it, a Staria? It's a, an Italian-based vehicle. Oh, no, Mitsubishi-based vehicle. Uh, that's called Ram 200, I think it is. Okay. And uh, that's being sold in Saudi Arabia. So there are components out there that exist for building a vehicle that would be competitive and a lot less expensive than the Ram or the, than the Jeep Gladiator. And I think that that could be the Ram Dakota, perhaps. All right. And then lastly, Chrysler <laughs> as a brand. What does right. that mean? Um, so Zach and I were talking <laughs> about this. Um, Chrysler has gone through an awful lot. We've heard recently that. That new airflow that you guys may have seen um, is, it's an all-electric vehicle, and there was a reason why it had the Chrysler badge on it, because that is what will be built by Chrysler, and we are hoping that Chrysler will sort of retake its luxury, affordable, American, you know, banner, which... By the way, is shared, I would say, with companies like Lincoln and perhaps even Buick. It's right in that same ether. And, you know, they're selling a minivan right now, uh, essentially. I mean, yeah, the 300's out there, I guess, but it's it's ancient and barely being, you know, it's, it's not on the radar. So essentially, right now, Chrysler is selling minivans. There was a time when Chrysler was selling some very luxurious and fairly high-tech vehicles for the time, or very interesting. And some of their design with the Imperial and stuff like that were really cool. So we're kind of hoping to see that kind of come back. Yeah, it's uh, it'd be very cool to see, like you said, luxury luxury Chrysler come back in a big yeah. way, or make it all electric or something really sure. cool. But as it says, it's kind of kind of a dying brand. I, I agree with you. Yeah, it is. Well, guys, let us know what you think of the revivals and reinterpretations on the list. And as always, let me know if you want to see the PT Cruiser come back. <laughs> there you go. Send that email to Tommy, would you? <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll see you on the next video. Okay. Cheers, guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.